In this episode, Mike Goldstein from Kitchen Remodeling SEO joins me as a guest co-host as we talk with Mac Grenfell, the co-founder of Byword.ai, which is a platform where you can generate articles through AI. Please join us. Welcome to the Entrepreneur's Marketing Journey Podcast, where we help experienced coaches, course creators, and consultants who are motivated to increase their revenue by implementing marketing tips and strategies. Hey, it's Matt Hepburn. I'm a digital marketing professional with 14 years of experience working as a consultant, working agencies, both large and small, and for the past eight years in the enterprise sector for some of the biggest brands out there. I provide the latest digital marketing tips for coaches, course creators, and consultants so that they can grow their businesses bottom line across marketing channels. Hey there, Mac. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Matt. Uh, absolutely. Uh, really excited to hear more about AI and content generation. I was hoping you could uh, tell the audience a little bit about yourself and your company, and then we could transit, you know, go into the questions after that. Yeah, sure thing. So uh, I'm Mac. I've worked for the past couple of years now, building uh, initially all sorts of kind of custom bits of tech around AI and SEO. Uh, so in the first place, this was kind of building one-off pieces of, of tech for brands to kind of generate lots of SEO pages at scale. And then later on last year, transitioned into a sort of productized version of this, uh, which now exists as a product called Byword.ai, uh, and is a platform that kind of grew out of what I was doing as a consultant. So lets brands come on and generate lots of SEO-ready content um, with kind of all the bells and whistles and integrated with your site. And, and so you can kind of take advantage of what AI offers in terms of being able to build SEO content at scale. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I, I'm going to also talk to Mike here for a second. Mike Goldstein from um, Mike and I work on this on uh, our main gig together. And then he also has his side company. Mike, could you talk a little bit about your company? And because you're the guest host today. And then uh, sure. can, I'll let you start with the questions. How about that? Sure, absolutely. So my name is Mike Goldstein. I'm the founder of a digital marketing agency that specializes in working with kitchen, bath, cabinetry providers, essentially people in the home services space. And we provide local SEO, uh, use of AI and automation, ch uh, use of chat GPT, uh, go high level integrations, things to that extent, as well as running Facebook and Google ads. Um, so I've been doing that for about... Uh, Oh, gosh, over 20 years now. Um, I like to tell people I've been doing SEO longer than Google has uh, because uh, we started back in 1998. And uh, very first client was this little unknown company called Ink Tommy that no one's ever heard of, but everyone knows who they became. About four months after we worked with them, they were acquired by this little unknown startup out in Silicon Valley called Yahoo. So uh, when I say we've been doing SEO for a while, we've been doing it for a while. Uh, Fantastic. I really want Thank you for having me on the show, Matt. This is this is fantastic. Absolutely. Um, did you want to ask uh, Mac some questions? You want to start with yeah. uh, the first question? You know, I, I do. And and Mac, you know, one one of the things that is really big in SEO right now and has been so for the better part of you know the last few years is this thing called EAT, E E A T, right? And you know, expertise and experience are big factors of that. One of the things that I know that AI is really great at is creating a ton of content and demonstrating an expertise in that content. Um, but the one thing that I've always found that AI kind of lacks is how do you add that personal touch? How do you add the experience that Google so recently has asked us to kind of add into the e-profile? So what, what I want to kind of find out is really how does your software go about adding that personal touch to the content creation to avoid the whole thin content issue? Yeah, sure thing. I think there's a few different ways to take this. So in one sense, I think it's fair to say that 
there's no kind of AI writer that really has this solved. And, and if someone tells you otherwise, they're probably not being entirely truthful. Um, so the way that I've kind of advocated for using this in the past, particularly in the sort of uh, YMYL uh, content areas where, where eat is more important, is not really seeing AI as the kind of finished product, but using it as more sowing the seeds in a way. So for example, I, I've kind of worked with a lot of brands where we'll say, okay, we'll kind of generate these thousand articles or so. Um, and, and this isn't the kind of the end of the road. We're just going to put this on the site, see how things rank. And then rather than, you know, starting from scratch and writing a thousand articles by hand or with a human, we can go back in three, six months and say, okay, these terms or these, these pages are ranking. This is the time where we go back and kind of use the ranking so far as a signal for how we prioritize the human, the human editing, which is where you come in with that expertise and authority and so on. Um, so that lets you get, uh, it sort of lets you take advantage of AI as a starting point, but you kind of layer on that human element once you can have the signal of, okay, this is where we're actually going to get bang for our buck if we invest the human resource in. Um, so I think that that's kind of the biggest and most honest answer really. Yeah, no, and, no, and I, I love that because the one thing you, know, you, you can always say about AI is it might be, you know, the smarter than any human being out there, but it can't have an experience that a human can. So, you know, taking it as the starting point and, and you know, Putting it out there and then adding in the personal touch really does make a big make a big difference. Um, you know, and then the next thing that comes to my mind is as someone who owns a digital marketing agency. You know, I'm, I'm in a niche, and you know, I, I work with the same type of contractors, kitchen remodelers, bathroom remodelers, cabinet builders, people like that. Oftentimes, you know, we we're writing about the same topics over and over and over again. Um, and although we you know we we have a little bit of an expertise in that area. How do you go about, or how does your software go about really taking, taking a, you know, the, a topic that you may be writing for five, six, seven different people and kind of differentiating it up enough so that it's, it's fresh and it's not really a duplicate. It's, it's not just cookie cutter content. Yeah, that's no, a great question. And, and again, I think there's a few different ways to look at this. So one on a kind of purely mechanistic, technical, mechanical level. Um, there's a lot of different stages to kind of what happens behind the scenes and by word when you generate an article and each one of those stages has a lot of randomness built in. Um, so even if you kind of provide the same inputs and uh, all the same kind of article settings, you'll get quite different articles coming out. And at a more fundamental level, if you look at how language models work, the, you, you're kind of breaking down an article, let's say a 2000 word article into two and a half thousand tokens or something. And each token as it's being generated, the, the kind of next token or word that's being generated is really a function of the, all the ones that have come before. And so even by the time you've generated your first 50 tokens, your first 40 or so words in the article, you've run a number of quite highly random calculations where the chance of two articles diverging or deviating is very high. And as soon as those deviate within the first 50, 25 tokens or so on, because each next token is a function of the ones that come before, they'll tend to diverge more and more. So I add, add a, and there's another half to this answer, but even at a purely kind of mechanistic level, there's, there's no real risk of duplicate content, even from the same tool, or at least in BioWords case. Um, but the other side of the answer is, is kind of in terms of the roadmap and product development and features that we've put in. And I think a big trend over since, since BioWords launched has been given more control to users and giving them more options to, for how they tailor their articles. So it's not just kind of you know, basic things like tone of voice, um, but also giving the users the ability to kind of inject structure and stuff into the prompts to direct bywords writing in a certain way. Um, there's a few things that we're looking at doing uh, in future. There's, there's actually a sort of, I can't even call this a beta feature. It's sort of a hidden feature that we have that we, it's all the kind of infrastructure is built and we're just waiting for the model to come. 
where it will take uh, either a kind of scan of your site or a few pre-uploaded sort of content samples or, or writing style samples, and then be able to inject those into future content. And it's a kind of funny one because we've seen in ChatGPT and the user interface, we've had really good results with the sort of same prompt structure that we're trying to build in the back end. There's a little bit of a difference in terms of the models that are available in ChatGPT and what we can build in production through the API. But as soon as there's parity on those, we know it's going to be a really, really good feature where you can almost perfectly kind of mirror the sort of style that someone's taken in their article so far and be able to transfer that through um, through to the articles they're generating and give it even more diversity. Yeah, I'm going to hop in there on that. That's uh, uh, exciting. Uh, so I think uh, what we're starting to see is uh, with some software, uh, I think uh, one of the, the recent uh, guests I had was talking about Lately.ai, uh, how it uses all your own content versus... Um, you know, yeah. Google's 2021 um, scrape that uh, ChatGPT did, right? So uh, it sounds like what you guys are moving towards, and this would be fantastic, um, a model where we could pull all the content from our site uh, or uploads. You know, maybe it's something that's not publicly uh, available, like PDFs and things like that, where we can get deeper content. Um, is, is that uh, the direction? It sounds like that's where it's going. I'm hoping that's where it's going. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I've seen a few people implement similar sorts of things so far. I, I haven't seen one that does it kind of in a way that I would feel is high enough quality to put into production on Bioware. Sure. I think we're we're pretty close to the point where the models are there and we can have that as a feature. Um, we, we have some similar features right now, which, well, they look very different to a user, but infrastructure-wise, they're actually very similar. So there's one where uh, a user goes and uploads a, a sitemap of their site. And mm -hmm. ByWord essentially crawls every single page and indexes and understands it. And we use this currently for, for interlinking to be able to kind of insert links through to the user site in new articles. But there's also a very similar application where we just use the same sitemaps and the same vector embeddings, which is a fancy way of saying ByWord's understanding of the articles to allow us every time a user generates an article for, to look for similar ones, to look how the user's written that before and to be able to you know, not just copy, but be able to take certain stylistic elements and tone of voice from the article. That, that's really interesting when you're talking about kind of looking at sitemaps and looking, one of the things that I love to do is looking at sitemaps and using AI to find internal link opportunities, things of that extent. And it, you know, it sounds great in, in principle for smaller sites, for, for, you know, for local SEO. How does that come into play though when you're dealing like with an enterprise organization? Let's say, you know, you have a, an international bank or you've got like a Home Depot level or, or some, somebody at that magnitude, you know, where the sitemap might have thousands and thousands of pages. Is there a processing delay that, you know, or, or how, how does that all work together, I guess? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I, I mean, I don't sort of keep huge tabs on the the size of sitemaps that you upload we have within byword it currently works up to a limit of 5,000 urls on sitemap currently so if you submit 10,000 it will randomly sample 5,000 but there's really aside from sort of some cost involved there's no technical limitation why it can't be 50 or 100,000 articles um the system that it's built on the the vector database where it kind of stores byword's understanding of all these articles is super scalable so there's no reason that it couldn't be pulling from a a sitemap of kind of six or maybe even seven figures of pages. So I'm going to hop, I, I, let me hop in here real quick, Mike, then I'll let you go back to that. So I just had actually Ryan Brock on from Demand Jump on uh, pillar-based marketing. So it sounds interesting where you're going with with the, the internal linking and, and part of that pillar-based marketing philosophy is going to be, they're going to do the keyword research, 
or topical research, and you're going to be able to have these top-level pillars, sub-pillars, and question queries, and they all kind of link together. If we were able to have a hierarchical, uh, maybe in a CSV or something that was uploaded and saying, here's how we want to write our content, and here's how we want to internally link it, is something like that on the uh, roadmap for the future? Yeah, we had some thoughts about building something similar to this before. I think um, just from a kind of purely prioritization and technical level, we've tended to go for things that are sort of um, implementation agnostic. So yeah. if we built something like this, we, we'd have to kind of say, we're just building it for WordPress, um, for example, uh, right. and, and build it in a way that kind of plays nicely with the WordPress API. And we've been a little bit cautious of doing stuff that really just works for one CMS because it, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a lot of work and kind of limits the... Uh, sure. the applicable audience, which I think is why we tried away from it a little bit. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. That's Mike, fair. did you want to, to jump onto yeah, your, well, your thoughts? Just, just to kind of go back to what you were saying about, you know, uploading a sitemap and all that is, do you have the ability to kind of look at live data as well? And one of the things I, I would want to look at yeah. is Google Search Console, you know, often gives gives me an idea of what a site is already known for, what the, you know, kind of what the topical relevancy might be. I can look at the queries, things like that. Is there a way to tie into Google's API and to kind of figure out what content the site already has kind of, or, or where Google at least thinks what it's about so that you can kind of support that in and kind of, Put kind of, I guess, to say, you know, boost the boost the existing relevancy to it. Yeah, yeah. So we're, um, I'm working on a feature at the moment. Was working up before this call, and probably will be after. Um, which is based around integration of Google Search Console. Um, works a little bit differently in that we we haven't been looking at it from the angle of trying to feed this into the generation process itself. I think there's a lot of complexities there, and it's difficult to kind of build this in a completely agnostic way that works for all sites. So we're taking, as a little bit of an experiment, taking a slightly different uh, approach. So instead of generating new articles with it, we're using it as a way to sort of generate uh, sections or kind of snippets for existing articles. So the way it would work is you you, you go to the, the page, integrate with Google Search Console. Um, it pulls, yeah, initially a lot of the same data that Search Console pulls itself in terms of page and query rankings. But you're essentially looking for, hey, I have this page, it's ranking position one on a few keywords. That's great no work needed. There's a few keywords where I'm ranking maybe positions three to 10. So there's a chance of getting on the top spot, there's a chance of getting more traffic, but we're not there currently. And then the way we're currently thinking about it is having a few different modes uh, of the sort of content you can generate. So if you just want you know, a few sentences um, that could fit into this article and are optimized for a particular query where you're not quite ranking at the top so far, all the way to if you want to generate a whole sort of uh, H2 section with nested H3s to really go after one particular query um, and then be able to sort of copy and paste that or export that as a CSV. And then um, likely at least in the initial version would be the kind of bit of manual work in terms of copy and pasting that into your CMS. But you kind of get the idea of using some of that functionality to see where you're not ranking maybe as well as you could and where you could add, add or modify content to, to increase ranking on certain terms. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and just Kind of one of the things I'd be interested is because is, I mean I've used a lot of different content AI content generators whether it was Chatix whether it's um, Surfer whether you know whether it's I mean this is a whole host of them out there. What are some of the kind of the standout perks that users can expect when they kind of plug your content into into their creation process? Yeah, sure thing. So I think you're right to call out that it is a somewhat commoditized market. There's a lot of products that do various similar sorts of things. Um, I'd say 
yeah, a lot of the work product-wise so far has been getting, or at least up until sort of the end of summer, has been getting to a point where we're kind of on par with a lot of these tools. And a lot of the features that we're looking at now, I think are really taking us beyond those tools. So interlinking is a big one. Um, I haven't really seen that many products do this in a kind of intelligent, natural way. So interlinking was one. This product I talked about earlier that we were sort of waiting for the model to come out, the, the custom styles one. Um, again, I know there's a few products that offer similar sorts of ideas, but I, the sort of results that I've seen not in production, I think, give me a lot of confidence this would be much better than what those have put into production so far. Um, and then I, I think a big thing is that, um, as I mentioned right at the start, Byword came from my experience of doing this sort of stuff um, as a consultant with brands, you know, doing it at scale, you know, a thousand or 10,000 articles at a time. And so it's always been a very core part of the philosophy of Byword that everything has to be done or achievable at scale. Um, there's no features that sort of work for one article at a time, but don't work for 10,000. And I think that's really where Byword shines. So we had um, like good case studies of brands that have used it at really quite large scale. Um, and it's just the way that it works in terms of generating stuff asynchronously in the background. I, you know, I have users on the limited plan who will go in at the start of the month, spend a few hours, not touch it for a month. And then they'll just have tens of thousands of articles with all of their kind of custom settings and configurations linked through to various WordPress sites, just generating over the course of the month and being submitted and uploaded to those sites. So I think, yeah, it's some of those custom features and then being able to do all of that really seamlessly at scale is I think what sets it apart. Did I did I just hear you saying that it's submitting uh, and uh, on the CMS by itself? Did I hear? Uh, that? Yeah, so there's a few integrations. Um, yeah. So WordPress, Webflow. There's also Zapier, and there's an API as well. So if you users who build, essentially build their own kind of custom integrations on top of the API. Mm -hmm. Interesting. One thing you just mentioned is the ability to create content at scale, um, and something that I, I kind of been wondering about for a while now is. Is there really a best practice in terms of what, what is that threshold? How much content can you create that, you know, what point does Google really say, hey, this is clearly not a human being writing this. This is, is it even helpful content anymore? Um, do, do you have any kind of recommendations for, you know, how quickly you can actually grow a site? Because right. I know a lot of affiliate marketers, for example, you know, they, they're pumping out hundreds of pages a day with the, with the goal to get, if I can get 10 people to this page and 10 people to this page, they're going to make money. But what is kind of the, you know, at least in your opinion, what's that best practice? Where is the cutoff or, or how much can you create safely? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a great question. I want to get asked a lot. And the truth is I, I, I don't have a kind of clear kind of graph in my mind of like at this stage, it's acceptable to post this much and so on and so on. But I do have a few data points. Um, so I've done a fair bit of experimenting myself with kind of random domains and sites, you know, with DA0 or 0.1 yeah. or something like this and found it pretty difficult unsurprisingly, to get traction. But I've also done work with brands, uh, a lot of the sort of brands that I was doing this consulting with before Byword were, you know, DA 40, 45, something like this. And in a lot of those cases, we'd, we'd push it quite hard. So in some cases we're talking, you know, like four or 5,000 articles a day. Um, and in all those cases, really, I, I saw pretty good results. I, uh, we do, we get stuff indexed within 24 hours and, and see no sorts of penalties and, and kind of good, consistently growing traffic. So it's, it's kind of shaped my views to the point where if you have a decent amount of pre-existing TA, maybe not necessarily 40, but maybe let's say sort of 20, 30 or so, then you can probably afford to be fairly aggressive with the content that you put out. Um, the cases where I've seen it go wrong are people, like I mentioned earlier, taking completely fresh sites without any sort of 
uh, resource or, or time spent on link building and just putting obscene amounts of content, uh, especially if it's, yeah, I, I've seen this go well in cases where people do push lots of content, but in a very tightly focused area, but it's when people put huge, uh, huge spreads of content on all sorts of different topics that you, you, you know, aren't really related to one another on low DA sites that it really just starts to go wrong. So I'm going to hop in there because we're getting into Google's EEAT framework again. And uh, so one of the things that Google in this EEAT framework is kind of looking into or leaning into is wanting to have an author associated with uh, a page or a post. And uh, if it's created by a brand, let's say, and there's no real author associated by it, it wants to have it at least reviewed by, right? Uh, associated with that and that being a person. Um, so for me, as a small, mid, smaller to mid-sized sites that are building up with this method, um, it sounds like to me that that's kind of what is needed. Um, I'm a little surprised to hear uh, with the larger scaling that you were just talking about before uh, that there weren't any issues with that, but um, I think that's, that's good. Uh, could you... Uh, I mean, are you familiar with this? Can you comment on this? And Mike, do you want to tag? I'm going to tag you in on this too, because this is something we talk about all the time. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think one thing that, you know, with EEAT, again, it goes back to not, it used to be EAT. Why do we have that extra E? Because of the experience. The And the one thing that every expert out there has said is what can it was the one thing AI can't do is it can't have experiences. But I think when you add in authorship, and you know, if you can, if you can take a piece of content that an AI wrote for you, but you can kind of it was a ghostwriter, and and you attribute it to a human being who has a LinkedIn profile, who is licensed, you know, YMYL type of stuff. If they're a licensed, you know, accountant, lawyer, doctor, whatever it might be, and you tag to them, I think that all of a sudden that really great AI generated content now gets the human boost, the experience, connection, and it, it can really it could be a whole game changer at that level. But I'm, Mac, I'm curious as to, as to your take on how you, so, how you see that. So I'm going to go back to right to, and I, I agree with that. And I want to tie that back to what Mac was just saying about sites that went really broad, right? So they don't have experience in all those different things. A person would, they would have some experience in a very specific area. So that makes more sense yeah. why that the ones that were narrow, even that were starting out, did all right with that, but the ones that went broad were more kind of like, I guess, sound like a smashing magazine type of site, trying to cover as many topics as possible. Um, probably didn't have this authorship associated with it. And that may be one of the reasons that, I, I mean, I'm just guessing, but that would be what I would suggest why that had a problem. Yeah, um, just going off the data points I have, but certainly after the HCU helpful, uh, most recent helpful content update, yeah. um, I, I know of two sites who are going pretty aggressive on content. Um, and I, I don't know off the top of my head what they were doing in terms of authorship. So I'd be a bit cautious, at least on just the basis of my experience of drawing conclusions there. Yeah. Um, yeah the, the only thing we kind of noticed was the kind of breadth of content and how they're approaching uh, things there. That seems to yeah. be a big focus of Google in that last update. Right. So, yeah. And maybe it's Google narrowing down to this authorship, but the breadth you know, that's just telling it right there. What's your expertise of the site, the overall overarching topic of the site. And uh, if you go too wide. So uh, really, really interesting. So Mike, did you want to talk about uh, clickbait 
titles and SEO best practices? Because uh, we know yeah. you have this uh, both a page title generator and, and meta description generator uh, as part of this as well. Yeah, I think it'd be interesting to kind of find out how you're striking a balance really between those catchy headlines, you know, click, you know, I, I, one of my favorite prompts in ChatGPT was always, I want you to write me a clickbait style headline that does not stuff keywords, you know, so, something that's so like, how do you balance kind of the, the conversion based type of language with the SEO best practices that Google's looking for? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So um, we, we don't necessarily force this in users in a way. So th there's two kind of core modes within ByWord. One is title mode, one is keyword mode. Um, so if at any point users want to just kind of go off pre-written titles, they, they use title mode and there's no reliance on ByWord to make a choice in terms of the title. Um, but in keyword mode, it essentially adds an extra step to the start of the, the writing process, which which is generating that title. Um, and it's we've taken a fairly agnostic approach. There's not a, a sort of strong focus on on going kind of either clickbaity or, or keyword stuffing or anything like this. Mm -hmm. I think, on a philosophical level, on my perspective, a lot of the best use cases for byword and kind of AI content scale are use cases where the title isn't that critical. Um, you're not competing on content where um, you know there's a hundred or a thousand articles out there that are going for that one specific keyword. Um, the best use cases are generally going after long tail content where the content out there is already quite thin. And so just having, you know, being that one person making the relevant article on how to start a, a lawn mowing business in New Hampshire or whatever it is, it, it is the most critical factor rather than the kind of minutiae of whether it's uh, SEO, uh, sort of clickbaity or keyword stuffing, uh, et cetera. Well, let me ask you, in terms of like buyer getting getting the, the keywords and getting it right and all that, where you know, let's just talk a little bit about Bywords research feature for keywords. Like where is it getting all the data from? How does it know kind of what to target? Yeah, so um we have this research feature which we launched about a month ago. Um we launched it mainly as a sort of answer to the question that a lot of people have when they come to Bywords, which is, hey, this looks cool. I'm kind of sold on the idea of AI content, but maybe I don't have a marketing person, maybe I'm a solo founder and I don't really know where to get started. Um, and especially if you look at the sort of state of play of a lot of the research tools out there, like Ahrefs or SEMrush, um, they're great tools and Bioword's obviously not going to compete with them on research functionality. But, you know, aside from the sort of $1 for seven day trial or whatever, they're generally pretty expensive and a bit sort of, maybe a bit too powerful, a bit too complex for any user. Um, so we wanted this to sort of address a bit of a gap in the market for these people who are kind of sold on the idea of, of AI SEO, but don't really, or maybe need like a bit of a helping hand. Sure. Um, so the research feature is essentially pulling from external, uh, like a third party API. Um, so it isn't doing anything kind of too crazy in terms of getting the data. We're not kind of, the, the Bioid hasn't built its own scraper or anything like this. Um, we built a, or are building a few things on top of it. So there's a kind of functionality where you can search for programmatic structures within um, within keywords. So it's like, uh, can asterisk eat grapes where you get, you know, can dogs eat grapes, can cats eat grapes, etc. which kind of plays into, as I mentioned earlier, I think some of the best use cases of the byword, which is generating this sort of long tail content at scale. Um, and then on top of that, we also, so that maybe focuses on slightly smaller scale, kind of getting people started with a bit of research. Mm -hmm. We also have some, uh, quite an interesting feature, which I haven't seen anyone else do, which doesn't pull keyword data directly, but it generates ideas for programmatic structures. 
So I, I kind of implicitly gave an idea for programmatic structure earlier when I said, um, when I said to consider a search term like how to start a gardening business in New Hampshire, you could consider that a structure of how to start X business in Y state. Um, and then you build up your list of you know, businesses and states and you time those together and you get lots of, lots of uh, permutations. Um, we have a, a sort of idea generator for that as well, which if anything was a sort of like personal win for me, because when I used to do as a contractor, the hard bit was never generating the articles. It was never writing the code. It was just coming up with the ideas for these structures that would then build the pages in the first place. Um, and it doesn't, I mean, I hold my hands up and say it doesn't kind of validate these ideas in, in terms of search volume, but a lot of these are going after quite low search volume terms in the first place where the data available just isn't reliable. Um, which I, I don't think is a bad thing. Um, I think there are a lot of SEO opportunities that are overlooked just on the basis that everyone's relying on Ahrefs or SEMrush. And if those tools yep. or one of those tools says there's no traffic here, then people ignore that. Um, even when, you know, in a lot of low search volume cases, there's actually a decent bit of traffic, especially yeah. if you're going after a thousand of them at once. Well, the, you know, I'm going to actually reference Ryan Brock again. He's like, you know, most of these different software companies anyway, uh, for search volume, it's all based upon Google's bidding structure anyway. So it's, you know, for me, uh, this research tool sounds interesting. Uh, I think what I would be curious about, and I think would be really great is if there's the ability to upload, say I have question queries that I already have from another tool. People also ask questions and maybe three other ones or four other ones I wanna have as H2 tags further down the page. Can I provide all of that and then have it create an article? So I'm answering all these in questions and have them, you know, hierarchically underneath the the page topics underneath the the H2 tags. Yeah, yeah. There's a few different ways. So you can either do this. There's a sort of nice, easy interface for doing this for a one-off article, mm -hmm. um, or there's a kind of way you can stitch together in a Google Sheet. You know, for each row is one article, and you have your uh, your title and all the H2s, and you kind of jam those together and, and put it in a big uh, mm -hmm. string to buy, uh, to buy word and get it to generate these articles. We, I have actually, when I was building the research feature, played around with some of the uh, people also asked APIs, uh, yep. not directly from Google, but third parties. So it's definitely something that I'm conscious of. I just haven't quite found the sort of best or killer way to integrate this in, which I think would be, you, you, get, you get people really excited. I just haven't quite found the way to integrate it perfectly. Mm-hmm. You know, some of the tools that are out there, I won't mention which tool, but uh, also provide an image, kind of like a mind map that gives you a hierarchical breakdown of like, here are the top, you know, sub pillar queries, and then here are the questions that are related. So for me, that's a perfect example of how you could use that for internal linking, saying each one of those sub queries is a post that's going to internally link up to that sub pillar that ultimately links up to the main overarching topic of your website. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I think I'd approached it previously from the idea of um, yep. using it to sort of build out article structures, but I think sort of going back to the idea we talked about earlier of building pillars, that is an interesting way of looking at it that I haven't really considered before. Yeah. If yep. I get, can I ask, just kind of taking that a step further is, I mean, your, the, your tool is clearly, you know, thinking about you know how best to structure and how best to, and what what to pull in and, and all that but how much of that comes back to just 
the proper prompt engineering and, and being able to actually ask the questions of the program the right way rather than just the kind of the one-liner, hey, write me an article about uh, skylights in Manchester, New Hampshire. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good point. Um, and, and I think maybe you'll have experienced this playing with ChatGPT, but there's a, I, I, I've never seen someone like come up with the right term for this, but call it like a kind of prompt budget or something where if you try to stuff too much into a single prompt, you'll find it kind of adheres to uh, less of it the more you stuff in. So um, I would use as a sort of recursive prompting system where you, there's not just kind of one big prompt, it does lots of different things, different stages, and then sort of goes back and loops through um, in a way that you're never sort of overloading the prompt at any one point, and you're just trying to give it the the, the minimal viable information to, to get that stage of the article written. Um, and similarly, you see this in, in, so we have one feature, which we call, uh, for users, it's called custom prompts, where they can kind of inject bits of text to say like, uh, hey, I never want you to give legal advice or, or something like this. And again, it's tempting to kind of make this limitless and let the users put in as much content information as they want. But I've always been keen to keep, uh, to keep the amount they can inject and supply fairly limited, just so that it doesn't kind of detract from the overall prompt that Bioword kind of passes in through the API and therefore reduce article quality. Um, but it is an interesting one to think about how you, especially like some of the new features that we're thinking about and layering on top, where exactly those come in. So one thing that is on my mind, and we haven't sort of laid the framework for this yet, but it's being able to handle CTAs and like the ends of articles better. Right. Um, so you've had some users sort of kind of uh, MacGyver their own way of doing this, which is inserting it into the custom prompt of kind of explaining what their brand is and saying, hey, include a CTA like this at the end, um, which is, it's a good start, but isn't totally reliable because again, you're giving a lot of information to OpenAI and forcing it to try and kind of keep all of this in its mind as it goes through. Um, so I think this is actually a good one where we can kind of, in terms of how I'd look to build this, we can kind of do the whole article writing process. And then at the end, we kind of take a few bits of the article, provide context to the API, say title, introduction, and the current conclusion, and then say, hey, based on this and you know some other auxiliary information that you've given us about their product, their pricing, what CTA they want, then just generate the paragraph that comes after this and provides the CTA. Um, so a nice example of where you're not trying to like jam everything into one prompt, but you're taking it Kind of slowly and intelligently and following it at different stages of the article process. It, it's interesting. The way, you, the way you describe it's very similar to, and I'm not going to mention the software here, but there, there's a vi, there's an AI video software that, I, that I've been starting to use. And one of the things I love that it does at the end is put the prompt in after you've created the content and then say, hey, can you change this or that? Or, and kind of that multiple prompt sequence, I think, allows just allows you a lot more control and, and allows you to really personalize it and to kind of dive deeper into whatever content, whatever medium it is, whether it's video, whether it's written content, whether it's you know infographics, anything. The you know the more you can customize it, I think, the better it's going to be just for search overall. Yeah, absolutely. It's also an interesting one from an optimization perspective because if you're prompting a language model or some sort of image model with a, a fully pre-written article or image, it's going to be more expensive because you're passing stuff back. So there's an interesting optimization problem, how you manage the costs here, both in terms of you know your PL, but also like what's the minimal viable bit that you can pass back in in order to be able to like tweak the article or image just how you want it based on the user's feedback. So, so I'm going to throw a question in here that wasn't in our list. Sorry about that. Um, and, and I don't know what the answer is going to be, but 
my question is, can this be adapted for local companies that are doing local SEO and want to show up in the local organic search results, not the, the map results uh, so much? But uh, is there a strategy for that? Or do you just kind of base it on a, a, the larger topics and then have them go optimize things later? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. It's not, this is never a sort of primary use case for ByWord. Um, yeah. Especially, you know, depending on how local you go, you might sort of reach the limits of other heavens in a certain way. Mm -hmm. um, despite never really positioning it in that way, I can think of quite a lot of the sort of enterprise users we have who've gone really aggressive on that local side of things. Mm -hmm. um, you know, have a few keyword structures and they're just passing through uh, huge, huge lists of thousands of, sort of towns or cities uh, across certain countries. So I've certainly seen good feedback from users in the sense of how they're using it, um, even if it's not, not sort of what it was initially intended for. Okay. All right. That's fantastic. Uh, do you have any uh, use cases that are like great stories you can tell us uh, about some of the brands that have been working there or maybe anonymize those, but uh, kind of like the results of what they've had using Byword? That would be fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So um, the, the big one we talk about a lot was in the sort of early days of Byword, where th there wasn't a sort of Byword.ai, but there was a code base that looks very similar to what's in the product now. Uh, I was working with a startup, a, a financial modeling startup called Causal, um, and they sort of positioned themselves as a competitor to Excel, a uh, sort of more advanced version of Excel for people who are doing financial modeling. And so this is pretty exciting because Excel, there's loads of content out there, language models yeah. understand Excel well. There's a near infinite list of kind of questions and queries that people have. So we took a few different approaches and sort of broke those down into like structure the pages that you want to go after. So some of them were very um, sort of like structured around an input list. So for example, we thought um, every Excel function or, or formula, depending on how you want to call it, um, mm -hmm. every Excel function and every Google, Google Sheets function as well, because they're pretty similar. Um, we're going to take those, put those into a list and run them through the ByWord or soon to be ByWord code base to generate articles in those functions. And you'd think this is the sort of thing which a, a sort of financial modeling SaaS app would never be able to kind of compete on. But all of a sudden, you know, within six months or so, um, we're kind of outranking Excel and Microsoft's own pages and Google's own pages on those terms. And this is just kind of looking at the functions, but we also did a few projects where we're looking at, you know, going to Ahrefs and finding the top 1000 keywords that contain mm -hmm. the phrase how to, and then Excel or Google Sheets. And again, passing those into to the kind of pre-LE version of ByWord. Um, and this was kind of where we were publishing at peaks of four or 5,000 articles a day um, with decent DA to start off with as I kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier um, and just saw really linear growth. So up to the point where, you know, a lot of this was launched at the start of 2022. And in September this year, we just passed um, on on their analytics uh, a million sessions a month on those on those articles. Wow. Um, and it's seen, it's proved pretty resilient in terms of you know, HCUs and all sorts of updates as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mike, did you want to talk, uh, ask uh, Mac about the the conference? About the the, the Open AI conference that happened. Oh, I, well, I would love to look, yeah, I'd like to actually hear kind of Mac your, your thoughts about you know the the conference about how Open AI seems to be something that now is going to be a lot more available. Uh, seems to be something that is going to be able to be featured in just a more product moving forward, and, and kind of what your thoughts are on all of that. Yeah, so I, I think a lot's been said already. I think um, a lot of the focus has been on the kind of 
shiny, fancy new stuff. So a lot of the kind of vision models, uh, having APIs released for those, text-to-speech, stuff like this, this whole GPT store of kind of creating custom assistance. And I think that's all exciting in a you know dev conference and it looks good on twitter threads and stuff like this but i think the most interesting stuff is the sort of uh the upgrades they've been making to some of the base models so it's stuff like the release of gpt4 turbo which is is um a sort of lightweight more economical faster version of gpt4 um which is not quite in production release yet but there's a sort of like toy version for developers to play around with and I think this is quite interesting. So I, I suspect certainly in, in BioWord's case and probably for a lot of other apps, there are a lot of features that developers have wanted to build, but either it's just been too unreliable because of the, the processing speeds or the cost of generating it has just been too much. And so I think even though it seems like a really boring upgrade, you know, them dropping the price by two thirds or whatever and speeding it up a bit, I think you'll see a lot of features that could have been possible, but people didn't really want to build or release for economic reasons that now will become available. And similarly, there's a, a similar sort of thing with 3.5 Turbo, where the, the quality is maybe not quite as good as the existing model, but the speed that it generates content at is just absurd. You could, if you weren't doing anything fancy and you just wanted to build the fastest AI article writer possible, you could get something half decent out in three, four seconds and have it um, you know, be of a length that was reasonable for SEO. That makes, that makes sense. I mean, it's, it sounds like, you know, just open AI is, is going to be taking us in a whole, you know, other direction or not even a new direction, but kind of opening up the direction that we're kind of already going and taking that river and turning it into an ocean. And just there, there's so much opportunity out there now, I think, with, with AI. Although, as I like to say, we don't even have AI yet, really. We have machine learning. Um, AI is even yet to hit us, and I can't wait to see what happens when it does. So. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, Mac, did you want to talk to the audience about any type of offers or, you know, how do they reach you and or find out more about uh, ByWord and on the website or demos or anything of that na nature? Uh, yeah, sure thing. So on the website, there's a few things. There's, um, I guess a few things are, so firstly, if you sign up to ByWord, you get a bunch of credits, just play around with background, see what works, um, see if you like it. There's the case study that I mentioned uh uh, if you scroll down the page, um, the causal case study about how we got to a million sessions a month there. There's also a pretty comprehensive docs um, or, or kind of learn section, um, which talks obviously not just about how to use ByWord, but there's also a kind of big section covering quite a few of the, the, the topics around like broader SEO strategy that we talked about here. Um, and is particularly useful, I think, for people who maybe don't have as much of a background in SEO or kind of want to understand um, how AI changes things. So yeah, a, a few things for people to look at there. Fantastic. Fantastic. All right. Well, this has been absolutely amazing and really educational. It sounds like there's a lot that's coming kind of on the precipice on with ByWord. As, do you have any uh, kind of idea of when your release release idea or release dates for uh, these new features are? Oh, yeah, good question. Uh, I would hope to get some form of search console integration out, at least in beta next week. Um, I don't know when this is being released, so maybe I should say this sure. week or last week. Um, the the custom writing styles uh is is dependent on open ai and what they do with their models but i'm super excited for that hopefully hopefully before the end of the year um yeah we're, i'm most of my work is just pumping product out so we're getting stuff shipped pretty quickly okay and, and then lastly what do you see uh for 2024 with ai and and byword what do you see up on the horizon 
Uh, so in terms of AI generally, who knows? <laughs> I don't even know what will happen next week. But um, in terms of ByWord, I think it's, uh, yeah, we're, we're sort of always looking at what models are coming out and the best ways, almost intelligent ways we can integrate those, especially integrating with existing sites to do stuff that's kind of above and beyond just, you know, press a button, get an article. So like interlinking was a big first step here in terms of understanding yeah. the content on your site. This custom writing style I talked about, there's a lot we want to do in terms of, you know, lots of users have custom data sets. Um, and I think there's some really exciting stuff or uh, custom ca catalogs as well and product lists. I think there's some really exciting stuff to be done in terms of generating content around those because um, anyone can generate an article on, you know, the best time of year to visit Hawaii. But when you right. get to like uh, the best five the best five scarves to wear to Thanksgiving dinner or whatever, that's a little bit harder integrating it with a product set. Um, yeah. So lots of things like that, that we're really excited for um, and will be coming out, I'm sure, later this year or next year. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, both of you for joining us today and we'll be talking to you soon. Thank you. This Thanks was great. All right. Take, a, take care, guys. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Entrepreneur's Marketing Journey podcast. To get the most value from this episode, make sure to check out the show note resources in the episode on emjpodcast.com. And if you got value from this episode and you would like more marketing tips from us, then feel free to subscribe to the podcast on the podcast platform of your choice so you never miss an episode. This is the Entrepreneur's Marketing Journey Podcast with Matt Hepburn, and we'll see you next time.